The reading is taken from Acts chapter 4, verses 1 to 22. Priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Aeneas, the high priest, was there, and so was Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them, punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. This is the word of the Lord. It's funny, isn't it, how daily life we talk all the time. Some of us more than others, I'd have to say. But we do talk and communicate with each other all the time. And that brings with it questions. Even if we don't realise, some of the things that we say will raise a question in someone else's mind. The point of that is to draw your attention to something. And that is the Archbishop Welby's visit to the Diocese of Guildford. The first element of that will be on the 24th of September. That's a Friday. And he's coming to the Lakeside Country Club. And that is an invitation to everyone here, uh, but equally right the way across the diocese. So there are a lot of people that are invited. And the Lakeside, I think, holds about 1,200 people. So uh, I suspect it will be oversubscribed. So tickets are free. 
you just need to go on to the diocese website and book one. I would encourage you to do so because that is our archbishop, our leader, telling us, speaking to us uh, about uh, where he believes the church is going, where we're going, and how we can tell our story to other people. He is then going to have a series of events, and I want everyone to take at least one, probably two or three, of these cards that are in the lobby outside. Uh, These are not necessarily for you, they're for your neighbours, but if you said to someone, I'm going to an event where questions, any question is going to be asked of the Archbishop, they might just say, that sounds like fun that's entertaining or I wonder what he's got to say for himself and they may just come and you could then be part of their story just as God is part of your story so that is the challenge and I'll mention that again a bit later on help us Lord as we turn now to your word in your name Amen do please sit down try and remember uh, at all times uh, where people are. We've got people now in the vestry, which is lovely. We've got people in the chapel. We've got people online and we've got people in front of me. So I shall just continually turn around, I think, but uh, hopefully not to blur you. Um, Once upon a time, there was a young lad who loved any sort of sport, any sort of games, He loved meeting with friends in his spare time and he just liked a lot of fun. Uh, He went to a youth group uh, that offered all of the above. There was, however, a catch. And the catch was that it was a youth group associated with a church. And that church said, well, if you're coming to our youth group, why don't you take part in our services? So, on a Sunday morning, every so often, he dressed up in a cassock alb. Hands up, who knows what a cassock alb is? Anyway, he dressed up in a cassock alb and carried the cross in front of the choir as they processed in and out of the church. This took him into a completely different world, and he met a girl. Oh dear. The girl went to a different church. So this young lad thought, I might go to that church and see what it's like. I don't know what prompted him, obviously. But he went to a different church. And there he met other friends, actually other friends from his school. But they were different. They were curiously different. They enjoyed having fun they enjoyed games, they enjoyed sport, but actually just as important to them was a person called Jesus. And actually they thought Jesus was fun and Jesus loved them and they loved Jesus. The rest is history. You will now find that young lad trying to tell people about Jesus in a church in Wanish. For the avoidance of doubt, that was me. That 
is part of my story. Only part of my story. We all love a good story. In fact, probably any type of story, because a story draws us in. They can be interesting, they can be thought-provoking, they can be alarming, scary, horrific, ridiculous. And actually, we probably love them all. Who would have thought? In fact, who's heard of someone called Ian Potter? I'm assuming it's going to be absolutely no one. You have all heard of Ian Potter. He lived four doors down from J.K. Rowling in Bristol and is the source material for Harry Potter. Who would have thought what a responsible Uh, what he was responsible for in those later years. He was a trickster, a prankster, and was always doing little tricks on J.K. Rowling. And she remembered Ian Potter and thought, I'll write about him. C.S. Lewis was 16 when he had the idea of a fawn carrying an umbrella through a snowy wood. Later, he had a dream about a lion And he wove them into a story and it was only actually as he was writing that it suddenly occurred to him the allegory that he was writing of Aslan the lion as the saviour of the people. We all love a good story uh, because it comes from a place within us. It's remarkable how many uh, stories, novels, are actually also autobiographical. Those that love Harry Potter, do you know who Hermione Granger is based on? J.K. Rowling herself. That's her. See, it's much easier, isn't it, to write about something and it has much more credence and realism if it's about ourselves because we know ourselves better than anybody else. And the disciples did the same. Jesus was a fantastic storyteller. Think of all those parables and illustrations that he used. And they were picked up by the disciples and regurgitated at other events. Just listen to what Peter and John were talking about. They were speaking about the person that they'd met. And we are often influenced, all of us I suspect, influenced quite radically sometimes, quite deeply by the stories and lives that we see and that we're part of. See, I was changed by that group of people I met at that church. I was changed by a leader in that church who once said to me, I really enjoyed your talk. Have you ever thought about being a lay reader? And I was then changed and challenged by a clergy friend who asked me, Uh, When I I spoke to him, I said, I want to do a bit more theological training. And he said, have you ever thought about making this more of your life? I have got my own back this morning because he is the one speaking at Blackheath as we speak now. So thank you, Peter Lavelle. The Bible is a story of individual lives, but it's also the life of a nation. It's the life of a people. It happens to be a story, as Eugene Peterson said right at the beginning, which is archaeologically proven, 
historically proven in the sense that we know Jesus was a real person. And it's incredibly challenging in respect to what Jesus asks of us. Jesus claims to be God. He asks us to believe that and to change our lives and our lifestyle, our worldview, accordingly. And if we accept that, the the story of God, the very person of God, becomes our story because he becomes part of our lives. The young lad who first attended that youth group changed the moment he accepted Jesus as Saviour and Lord. And at that point, I began living, actually I suspect it's the whole life, my whole life, I have been living the story that God has for me. And part of that story, as we read in Matthew, is to go and tell other people about Jesus Christ. It's to make disciples of all nations. And that's incredibly challenging news. We're asked the same question. Are we living out the story of God? God has become part of our story, so are we living that story? Are we telling people? Are we evangelizing? Oh, evangelism. It's a horrible word. In, in some ways, anyway. It's had a bad press, I think, over recent years. We can sometimes remember those mass rallies of Billy Graham and we think that it was nothing more than emotional blackmail. Exerting undue influence on people when they're emotional. What about our story one-to-one? Evangelism, bludgeoning people uh, to believe. We, we're actually quite embarrassed about it, aren't we? We're embarrassed about talking about our faith openly. Certainly on a one-to-one level, it's quite easy uh, talking to lots of people at the same time, particularly online, because I've no idea who's there. But we feel odd. We find somehow slightly fearful that we might be sidelined for being seen as strange. We might feel that we're in the firing line, rather awkward, that we'll be seen as yesterday's people, outdated and irrelevant. Evangelism. Evangelism comes from a Greek word, euangelion. It's literally to bring the good news. And the expression runs right the way through the Bible, but it's most closely for us linked with that gospel story of Christ, the story of Christ. And it was a story that the disciples loved to talk about. They were, actually it wasn't because they were orators, was it? Because they were not orators. It wasn't because they were important. They were definitely not important people. It wasn't because they were educated and theoretical and philosophers. They were fishermen. We would call them pretty dumb, actually. It wasn't even their job. It was definitely not their job. It was their whole life. That's what it was. Their whole life. Let's have a quick skim through Acts 4. Actually, Brian, do you want to put the um, passage back up on the screen? Because I'm very quickly going to go through. Uh, You could just read this three or four times and you'd have the whole sermon in front of you. Verse 1. Peter and John are speaking to the people. Literally just talking 
as I am to you now. They were sharing and talking in front of the temple, probably around the time of prayer. Verse 2, they were speaking knowledgeably and personally because it was about someone they knew. This was their personal testimony. It was their own story. They'd lived it. Verse 3, it did come at a cost. So this wasn't something that they were being forced to do. This was something that they wanted to do. They felt compelled to do. Verse 4, the the sincerity and power with which they spoke was clearly evident because we see people believed them and in turn believed what they were talking about. And we'll move on to verse 7. They are asked, they are drawn in front of the Sanhedrin, partly because the Sadducees didn't believe in resurrection and they were talking about resurrection, so there was an immediate confrontation. Uh, But they're asked, by what authority do you speak? By whose name are you speaking? Because in those days, everyone followed someone. Everyone had a philosophy, so did you follow John, Cynthia, Scott, Fred or somebody else? Which teacher are you following? Verse 10, their answer. Know this. It is by the name of Jesus of Nazareth, a name that they would all know, a a person that they had all seen and met. It's his name that we're speaking by. And just to drill that in a little bit more, Peter then thinks, well, if you don't understand that, I'm going to quote some verses to you that you absolutely do understand because this is part of the Bible that you agree with. Psalm 118. And he quotes it so that they would know and hold to be true. These were life principles that they would understand. The cornerstone. The stone upon, uh, uh, the, the, the stone upon which they were broken. So verse 12, of course they had authority to speak. They had authority because it had been given to them and in fact it had been asked of them. Verse 13, yes they were unschooled, they were uneducated people but they weren't talking about themselves. This wasn't their own thinking, their own philosophy, their own intellect. This was simply a story about someone they'd met and whom had changed their life. And you want proof? I'll give you proof. Verse 14. There's the proof in front of you. A man born lame who can now walk. That is the power of God. So verse 16. The Sanhedrin could not refute what they said and what was before their very eyes. A healed man, a story of new life, a story of rebirth, a story of changed disciples, a story about two disciples speaking powerfully about a person that they'd met. The danger, verse 17, was that Peter and John were still speaking. They were letting people know of their beliefs and their changed attitudes and their changed life. So they challenge Peter and John and say, do not speak anymore. We can't do anything else, but we just don't want you to say anything. Verse 20, as for us, we cannot help speaking about what we've seen and heard. The story of Jesus had become their life. The story of Jesus was their story. 
And they could not help but speak about it. This series is coming from uh, a book written by Hannah Steele called Living His Story. Uh, I just want to read a little bit from it uh, for you. That's when I get my glasses on anyway. Right. She says this. Somewhere there is a mismatch in our thinking between our perception of evangelism as something coercive, hard and socially awkward, and simply sharing the love of God with people. The starting point for evangelism, then, is not from a place of duty or obedience, since evangelism fashioned in the likeness of duty will easily run dry or lack sincerity. It comes from God's love. Pope Francis expresses this beautifully in an exhortation entitled Evangelii Gaudium, which means the joy of the gospel. And then she quotes Pope Francis. He says this, The primary reason for evangelizing is the love of Jesus which we have received. The experience of salvation which urges us to even greater love of him. If we do not feel an intense desire to share this love, we need to pray instantly that he will once more touch our hearts. What then happens is that, quoting 1 John 1, we speak of what we have seen and heard. The best incentive for sharing the gospel comes from contemplating it with love, lingering over its pages and reading it with the heart. If we approach it in this way, its beauty will amaze and constantly excite us. We've been entrusted with a treasure which makes us more human and helps us to lead a new life. There is nothing more precious which we can give to others. Amen to that. The story of Jesus was living in Pope Francis. It's living in each one of us. Living God's story is about living our story because our lives are impacted by God. It's not necessarily about the big rallies and being intentional about evangelism. That's why Archbishop Welby has decided to go for questions and answers because that's reality. And that will come out of his story and his understanding. It's not about bludgeoning people into a relationship with God by our intellect and reasoning. It's simply about being. Being the people that we are. Having compassion for those that need it. Having time for those that are hurting. Listening to those that have pain to share. To share time. Simply being Christ in those moments. And then, yes, indeed, yes, giving them a reason why we are sharing. Why we've stopped, why we have spent time, why we have listened, why we have cared. Because the love of God compels us to love other people. That is our story. Now, each story will be different. We are all individuals but we all have the same influence in our heart. The Holy Spirit who wants us to live and share our living with those around us. And so this series, I think, is going to ask us a number of questions. Do we know the God of the Bible? Do we really know? Have we experienced 
His love, God's love? Do we share things with God? Do we walk the dog and share with God as we walk? Do we believe that God loves us? Because if we do, God is part of us. His presence is with us. His Holy Spirit is in us. We are then part of his story. So what is our story? That's not a question of do we have a story. It's a question of what is it? We all have a story. And then is God part of our language? Do we speak of God as part of our daily articulation? Spoken actually and unspoken through what we say and what we do. There is a cost to having a relationship with Jesus Christ. And the cost is that his story is our story. We live out the life that he wants us to live. And that should be with real joy, real hope, real purpose. And therefore, it would not be right to hold it to ourselves. I asked the, uh, the midweek service on Thursday, actually, if uh, at the moment, uh, if, if you meet someone, they'll probably say, have you been away? And what would you do? So, I'm not telling you. How are you? How rude. What did you do over the weekend? That's none of your business. What, would we say any of those things? Of course not. Yes, I had a week in Devon. It was absolutely fantastic. The sun shone. We had all of Marion's family with us. It was absolutely brilliant. Thank you for asking. I'm feeling good at the moment. I've had a week off. Been back a week, so it's, it's, it's fading, but it, I'm still feeling good. And yes, this weekend I had a brilliant time. I had a wedding in church and then had a really exciting service on Sunday morning. We're talking about God's story. Because God's been part of my life for a long time and it's really interesting to know how I see things differently as a Christian. Do you ever find that? It's just normal conversation. We are all part of God's story. You have your own story. It's simply a question of sharing it with other people in our daily life. Being the presence of God wherever we are whenever we are, with whomever we are. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we do thank you. Thank you for being part of our life. Thank you for touching us. Thank you for making us new and different. Thank you for giving us a new story, a new chapter new chapters probably help us to read that story and share it with those that we meet simply by being perhaps simply by standing or sitting in silence sharing sharing your love and sharing your presence Amen